0: And with that, we're going to dive into God's Word. Make sure that you have your Bibles with you as we dive into God's Word today. Well, two ladies uh, met up at church one Sunday morning, and uh, we'll call them Mary and Mabel. Mary and Mabel, they hadn't seen each other before, and they began talking, and they had so much in common. They began talking and having a great conversation. They made plans to join each other at Starbucks a little bit later that week for coffee. And everything was going great until they made their way to their vehicles in the parking lot of that church. As they made their way to the vehicles, Mabel glanced down at the back of Mary's car, and she couldn't believe what she saw. Right there on Mary's rear bumper was a bumper sticker that said, Biden-Harris 2020. And Mabel thought to herself, no, how could this sweet, beautiful Christian lady possibly be a Democrat? And interestingly, Mary, when she looked at the back of Mabel's car, thought much the same thing. Mabel had a Trump bumper sticker on the back of her car, and Mary was horrified. She thought, no, how on earth could a Christian lady possibly support Donald Trump? Well, these types of things happen pretty much every week across our nation recently. And there's a reason for that. If you don't know it already, let me be the first to tell you. Jesus Christ is not running for president of the United States. I'm sorry, he's not running this year. And neither is King David or Moses or the Apostle Paul. Instead, our two major parties have lifted up their nominees who were both very flawed men who have lots of issues. Uh, Both Joe Biden and Donald Trump have their strengths, but as you and I well know, they also have plenty of weaknesses to go along with those strengths. So let's dive into this question. How would Jesus vote in 2020? How would Jesus vote in the 2020 election? Well, let me say from the get-go that if Jesus was a registered voter in the United States today, I am convinced that Jesus would not be a registered Republican. And I'm also convinced that if Jesus was a registered voter in the United States, he wouldn't be a registered Democrat either. I'm convinced that Jesus would be a registered independent if he was, in fact, a registered voter today. You see, Jesus was never one to join political parties. You may not know this, but in Jesus' day in first century Israel, there were a number of political parties in Israel. There were political parties, there were religious parties, you've probably heard of several of those. There were the the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Uh, There was the more political party uh, that believed that King Herod was great. They were called the Herodians. And then there was another political party that believed that King Herod was terrible. They were called the Zealots. And there was a party you may not have heard of before, the Essenes. It's lesser known of a political party there in first century Israel. So let me ask you, which of those political or religious parties did Jesus join? And the answer is, none of them, right? Jesus didn't join any of them. So contrary to what most Conservative Christians believe Let me give them the benefit of the doubt Contrary to what many Conservative Christians believe Jesus is not a registered Republican And contrary to what Many liberal Christians believe Jesus is not A registered Democrat either Jesus is neither He's independent He represents only one political kingdom And that is the kingdom of heaven Amen Since Jesus isn't running for political office then When it comes to voting in any election, you and I have to do the next best thing. Since Jesus isn't running, we have to do the next best thing. Number one, we need to determine the heart of Christ on the issues. Because Jesus does care about the issues that our government leaders deal with on a daily basis. And number two, we have to prayerfully determine which political candidate or political party and which propositions are most in sync with the heart of Christ. So that's our job. So so make sure you're with me so far. Since Jesus isn't running for office, we have to, number one, determine the heart of Jesus on the issues. And number two, determine which candidate, which political party, and which propositions and ballot measures best are in line with the heart of Christ. This election cycle, most of us are focused on the presidential race, but as we vote, we'll be voting on a lot more than who's going to be the next president of the United States. You probably, like me, have already received your voter information guide in the mail. This is not a two-page document. It's pretty thick, because we're voting on a lot of things leading up to this election. Uh, We'll be voting on who's going to be our new state assemblyman, Uh, We'll be voting on who we'll be sending to the House of Representatives in Washington, D.C. And we're also voting on city council members in many of our cities that we live in. And we have a whopping 12 state propositions to vote for in this election. And so this morning, uh, we're not going to be so narrow as to just focus on the presidential election. Uh, We're not going to get into the weeds with Trump versus Biden. Instead, we're going to take a broader approach We're going to open God's word together and determine the issues that are closest to the heart of Christ. And then we're going to see how both the Republican and the Democratic Party platforms measure up to these issues that are closest to the heart of Christ. So if that sounds good to you, I encourage you to get your Bibles ready. We're going to be in Luke chapter 4 starting in verse 18 in just a few minutes. There may be some parts of this message that are hard to hear. I encourage you to hear them anyway. I encourage you to stick with me to the end of this message because I guarantee you, God has a good word for you today. And what he shares with us through this message will help us understand his heart better and will help us live for him better in this very tumultuous and and difficult time in which we live where so many Christians are going like this at each other. Okay? So hang in there. God has some good meat from his word for you today. Well, as you're turning to Luke chapter 4, I want to share with you a quick verse from Psalm chapter 89, uh, verse 14. Psalm eighty-nine fourteen, the psalmist says this. He describes God's perfect government by saying, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. It surprises many Christians to realize that government can be a very good thing. And the reason it can be a very good thing is because God created government. And so when God is in the center of government, it can be a, a beautiful and, and wonderful thing. And God's government is marked, it says in Psalm eighty-nine, fourteen, by both righteousness and justice. Please say those two words with me. Righteousness and justice. One more time. Righteousness and justice. So we ask the question, what two virtues is God's government founded upon? And the answer is righteousness and justice. To put it a little more simply, when God rules, he always does what is right, and he always does what is just. That's what the word righteous means. The word righteous means right. You might say it this way, righteousness means rightness. So God's government is always marked by righteousness and justice, by doing what is right and doing what is just and so Jesus has a heart for doing what is right and what is just that's the first thing I want you to understand about the heart of Christ when it comes to government he has a heart for doing what is right and what is just so when it comes to choosing our political leaders every Christian should ask these two questions first will this candidate do what is right in God's eyes and question number two will this candidate do what is just In God's eyes The same goes for measures and propositions Will adopting this measure or proposition Make our city and state more right? And will adopting this measure or proposition Make our city and state more just? Now let me tell you a little something I think that will help you better understand Your Christian brothers and sisters Who tend to vote differently than you do Christians who consistently vote Republican Tend to do so Because they believe that Republicans do a better job of standing up for what is right. You with me so far? Those who tend to vote Republican as Christians do so, oftentimes because they believe that those who are Republican tend to do more often what is right. Now, Christians who tend to vote Democrat oftentimes do so because they believe that Democratic candidates more often tend to do things that are just. And so Christians who vote Republican tend to identify with Christ's heart for righteousness, while Christians who vote Democratic tend to identify with Christ's heart for justice. And we're going to flesh that out a little bit in just a few minutes as we look at specific stances that both the Republican and Democratic parties take. And I think you'll see that what shines from a Christian standpoint in the Republican party Are those areas where they stand for what is right And what shines as biblical in the democratic platform Are those things where they take a stand for justice And so we're going to look at that in the next few minutes But I asked you to turn to Luke chapter 4 And we're going to be starting in verse 14 Luke chapter 4 starting in verse 14 It says, Jesus returned to Galilee In the power of the Spirit And news about him spread through the whole countryside to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor Then he rolled up the scroll Gave it back to the attendant And Jesus sat down The eyes of everyone in the synagogue Were fastened on him And he began by saying to them Today this scripture is fulfilled In your hearing And God bless us as we study his word today Now this passage Contains Jesus' Inauguration speech To ministry Jesus had just recently been baptized by John the Baptist He just recently begun his three-year ministry And here in Luke 4, Jesus returns to his hometown of Nazareth He goes into the synagogue And he's given that opportunity to read from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah from the Old Testament And Jesus opens up there to Isaiah chapter 61 verses 1 and 2 And he reads this passage that was well known in Israel Here in Luke 4, Jesus nicely summarizes the reason that he came. He came to earth, and he reveals it in this passage in Luke 4. He came to earth to do these things. He says that he came for the poor. We see in this passage that Jesus has a heart for the poor whose lives have been filled with bad news. He came not just for the poor, but for prisoners. He has a heart for the prisoners who long for freedom. He came to earth... For the blind and the oppressed He has a heart for the blind who desperately want to see He has a heart for the oppressed who want to be set free from their oppression Now, as we study the life and teaching of Christ in the New Testament It's very clear that Jesus' focus is primarily spiritual And so here in Luke chapter 4 as he reads this inauguration speech We we do have to keep in mind that Jesus' focus is primarily spiritual, not physical He's most concerned with preaching good news to the spiritually poor and proclaiming freedom for prisoners of sin and offering recovery of sight to the spiritually blind and releasing those who are spiritually oppressed by Satan. So his first concern always has been and always will be the spiritual side of our lives. But make no mistake about it, Jesus is also deeply concerned about the physical. He has an eternal perspective, But he's also concerned with the physical here on earth Jesus demonstrates great concern and compassion for those who are physically poor For those who are physically sick For those who are physically imprisoned and physically oppressed So based on what Jesus reveals about himself in Luke chapter 4, 18 and 19 And elsewhere in scripture It's safe to say that Jesus has a heart for the poor And he has a heart for the sick And he has a heart for the helpless So when it comes to choosing our political leaders We would do well to identify candidates that have a similar heart Candidates who have a heart for the poor And a heart for the sick And a heart for the helpless Because one of government's greatest responsibilities Is to stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves And to defend those who are helpless and cannot defend themselves That's one of government's greatest duties under God now there are two other passages that I want to point out to you. First of all, Matthew nineteen six, for the sake of time you don't have to turn there, but you can look at it in your spare time. Matthew nineteen six is Jesus is teaching his disciples about marriage. He says of a husband and a wife, they are no longer two but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate. It's clear from Jesus' teachings that he has a heart for marriage. He has a heart for marriage. In Matthew 19, Jesus takes us back to the very beginning when God created marriage in Genesis chapter 2, right there in the Garden of Eden, that marriage between Adam and Eve. Before so-called gay marriage became trendy, before 50% of marriages ended in divorce, Jesus takes us back to the Garden of Eden, and he says, that's God's plan for marriage. One man and one woman united together for life. One man, one woman, united together for life. That's God's covenant plan for marriage. So yes, Jesus has a heart for marriage. Finally, Jesus has a heart for innocent children. We see this so clearly in Luke chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. It says people were bringing babies to Jesus to have him touch them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said Let the little children come to me And do not hinder them For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these I tell you the truth Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God Like a little child Will never enter it So Jesus has a heart for children Wouldn't you agree? Jesus has a heart for babies And a heart for innocent children So you take all of these verses together And here's a quick synopsis of Jesus' heart when it comes to matters that our politicians deal with on a regular basis. Uh, Jesus has a heart for doing what is right and just. He has a heart for the poor. He has a heart for the sick and the helpless. And Jesus has a heart for biblical marriage and for innocent children, even babies. So with that in mind, let's take a look at how the policies of the Republican Party and the Democratic Party Measure up to the heart of Christ. This morning I want to share with you three things that are biblically right in the Republican Party's platform. And I want to share with you three things that are biblically just in the Democratic Party platform. We'll look at them one at a time. When politicians get into office, it's important to know that they aren't required to always carry out decisions and policies that are right in line with their party platforms. But here's something that's important to know. Over the last 30 years, research has shown that Democrats vote along the lines of their party platform 79% of the time. And Republicans vote in line with their party platform 89% of the time. So if a candidate is affiliated with a certain political party, it's no guarantee that when they get into office, they're going to carry out that, that party platform just as written. But chances are really, really good that if you know the party platform, that candidate who identifies with it will carry out those policies most of the time. So let's see how each of these parties line up to what God says in his word about what he is looking for In Godly government. We'll start with the Republican Party. By the way, the uh, parties, the Republicans and Democrats, they publish typically their party platforms every presidential election year. And so normally that would be done for both parties in the summer of 2020. Uh, The Democratic Party did that uh, just a couple months ago. They did it this summer. The Republicans, because of COVID and some mix-up with where their convention was going to be held, they basically did a same-as-last and said, refer to our 2016 uh, party platform So as I share these things with you, just bear in mind I'm sharing uh, from the Republican platform from 2016 And the Democratic platform from 2020 So let's start with the Republican Party Some party platform positions that are biblically right Policy position number one The sanctity of human life the sanctity of human life. The Republican Party platform is firmly pro-life. The platform states, quote, the unborn child has a fundamental right to life which cannot be infringed. I'm very, very thankful that over the past four years since this party platform was published, key Republican leaders in Washington, D.C. haven't just talked the talk, but they've walked the walk. President Trump has had all sorts of issues throughout his adult life, and he's had all sorts of issues as president, but one area where he's been strong biblically is in this area of life. President Trump has nominated three pro-life justices to the Supreme Court. He also reinstated the Hyde Amendment, which bars the use of federal money to fund most abortions. And with the Republicans' blessing, he also reinstated the Mexico City policy that keeps federal dollars from funding abortions. Overseas, The Republican Party has openly called on Congress to pass the pain-capable unborn child protection act. I believe every Christian should stand up and cheer for this act because it prohibits abortion after 20 weeks, which is, quote, the point at which current medical research shows that unborn babies can feel excruciating pain during abortions, end quote. The Republican Party also supports state and federal efforts against the cruelest forms of abortion, especially dismemberment abortion procedures in which unborn babies are literally torn apart limb from limb inside their mother's wombs. And on the other side of the life cycle, the Republican Party also stands strongly against all forms of euthanasia, including physician-assisted suicide. So, long story short, the sanctity of human life is close to Christ's heart, and the Republican Party is on the right side of that important issue. Policy position number two, marriage and family. Marriage and family. Unlike the Democratic Party, the Republican Party supports vocally traditional marriage. In their platform, they write, quote, Every child deserves a married mom and dad. And our laws and government regulations should actively promote married family life as the basis of a stable and prosperous society, quote. Unfortunately, in recent years, the Republican Party has largely caved to public pressure when it comes to gay marriage and taking a stand against a divorce that's so rampant in our nation today. So this is one of those areas where they talk a good game, but they haven't necessarily walked the walk. But at the very least, we're thankful that they have spoken out for biblical marriage between one man and one woman. Well, policy position number three, religious liberty. Uh, There's a lot that I could say about this one, Uh, but for the sake of time, I'll just highlight a few quotes from the Republican Party platform. The Republican Party supports, quote, the right of America's religious leaders to preach and Americans to speak freely according to their faith. I know, I know about you, but I love that. So they support my right as a pastor to speak freely from the pulpit and not worry about the IRS coming, out of me, coming after me and yanking our church's nonprofit status. That's a wonderful thing. The Republicans in recent years have fought to abolish the Johnson Amendment, which has been used in past years to muzzle pastors in their own pulpits. The Republicans also support the First Amendment Defense Act that would bar government discrimination against individuals and businesses for acting on belief uh, that marriage is the union of one man and and one woman. We can think of uh, cases like with Hobby Lobby, and uh, Chick-fil-A and other Christian-owned businesses uh, that have been persecuted because of their stance on traditional biblical marriage. And so the Republicans are in support of the free exercise of uh, carrying out our faith and our businesses uh, without being persecuted. Uh, Although the gospel of Jesus Christ can flourish uh, during times of persecution, I really do believe that Jesus Christ loves it when the gospel is preached and lived out unhindered. And so I think it's a a wonderful part of the Republican Party platform that they do defend religious liberty uh, so strongly in our nation. Now, let's take a look at three policy positions in the Democratic Party platform that are biblically just. We just looked at three positions that are biblically right in the Republican Party. Let's look at three positions that are biblically just in the Democratic Party. Policy position number one. I love this one. Ending poverty. Ending poverty. I haven't read, uh, to be honest with you, I haven't read all 90-plus pages of the Democratic Party platform, just as I haven't read all 60-plus pages of the Republican uh, Party platform. You know what? I don't have enough stamina to read the entire things from, from cover to cover. But from all I've read in the Democratic Party platform, this is my favorite sentence in the whole thing. Quote, Democrats remain committed to ending poverty and enabling all Americans to live up to their God-given potential. Isn't that good? Let me read it for you once again. Democrats remain committed to ending poverty and enabling all Americans to live up to their God-given potential. They go on to write, We will support the 10-20-30 funding approach to direct at least 10% of federal funding, to communities where 20% or more of the population has been living below the poverty line for 30 years or longer. Directing more federal investment to the communities most in need will help create jobs, improve and expand housing, modernize and expand transportation, clean water, wastewater, energy, and broadband infrastructure, and promote shared prosperity. I think that's a very noble and biblical stance to fight. ...against poverty in America and bring an end to poverty in America. There's room for disagreement for sure in the policies that the Democratic uh, Party proclaims in order to carry out this lofty goal. We can disagree about the policies, but the goal itself to end poverty is an excellent biblical goal. Policy position number two, achieving racial justice and equity... Here's another quote from the Democratic Party platform. Historic wrongs and abuses perpetrated against Native Americans, two and a half centuries of slavery, a hundred years of Jim Crow segregation, and a history of exclusionary immigration policies have created profound and lasting inequities in income, wealth, education, employment, housing, environmental quality, and health care for the communities of color. Democrats are committed to standing up to racism and bigotry in our laws, in our culture, in our politics, and in our society, end quote. The Bible is very clear that God does not show favoritism. And he expects that his followers should not show favoritism either. God hates racism. And racism has no part in the church It has no part in Christianity. It has no part in America. The Democratic Party is absolutely just in its standing strong against racism in America. Now, personally, I think that some of the Democratic policies are out there in left field when it comes to dealing with racism. I don't necessarily agree with the policies, and I would even go as far as to say some of the specific policies are themselves anti-biblical, unbiblical. But the goal itself is an excellent biblical goal to stand against racism and fight against racism in our nation in all of its forms. Policy position number three, protecting the environment. Protecting the environment. Just about everyone knows that the Democratic Party is more green than the Republican Party. And caring for the environment is an issue that is very important to many Christians, especially young Christians. It's a very important issue to many. Although Jesus never urges us in the New Testament to protect the environment, God the Father, remember, does clearly say in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 28, that we are to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock and over all the earth. And that Hebrew term that is translated as ruling over means that God has called us as humans to manage and take care of and compassionately care for the needs of creation. So he's called us to care for the earth. So you could definitely make the case that caring for our planet is close to the heart of Christ. Well, there you have it. Three policy positions of the Republican Party that are biblically right, and three party positions of the Democratic Party that are biblically just. Now, I want to share with you Three applications, how we can practically live out what I've shared with you today. By the way, before I get to the first one, wouldn't it be a beautiful thing if we could somehow merge the best of both parties together? If we could merge the the moral rightness in many of the policies of the Republican Party with the moral, biblical justness of the Democratic Party. If we could marry those two, wouldn't it be awesome? But alas, until Jesus comes... That probably won't be something that happens. Well, let me share with you these three quick practical applications. How do we live out this message today? Number one, our primary job as Christians is to lead people to Christ. Amen? Our pr- primary job is to lead people to Christ, not to an elephant or to a donkey. Our primary job is to lead people to the cross of Jesus Christ. So don't allow your politics to, To sabotage your witness to unbelievers And don't allow your politics To sabotage your fellowship With believers So many of us allow our politics To take a front seat Instead of a back seat To our faith Make sure that your politics Does not sabotage your witness To non-Christians Who need more than anything else To accept Jesus Christ And don't allow it to sabotage Your relationships with other Christians Number two, application number two, our loyalty must be to Christ, not to a political party. So do some research and vote in line with the heart of Christ. Amen? Our loyalty is to Christ, not to a political party. Application number three, pray for right and just leaders. Vote for right and just leaders. And you yourself become a right and just leader. Do you know what the Greek philosopher Plato said? I came across this quote last week. I thought it was so good. Let me share it with you. Plato wrote, The penalty that good men pay for not being interested in politics is to be governed by men worse than themselves. Did you catch that? The penalty that good men pay for not being interested in politics is to be governed by men worse than themselves. Isn't that good? Christians, God has called you and me to be involved, to take an interest. We need Christ-loving, Bible-believing Christians in our government now more than ever. So get interested and get involved. Volunteer to help out our governing leaders. Some of you should consider running for public office. It's a little late to throw your hat in the ring for this election, but when the next one comes, maybe God's going to lay on your heart to run for city council or to run for the local school board or to run for maybe even a higher office. We need God-fearing Christian men and women in public office. Men and women who will fight for biblical justice and biblical righteousness. So get involved. Pray. Vote. And serve all for the glory of God. Next Sunday we'll take a closer look at some policy positions in both the Republican and National Party platforms that are not in line with God's word. So I encourage you to join us next week as we look at some areas where our political parties have failed in the stances that they have taken and in the policies they've carried out. Because we have to stand for justice and righteousness And we need to stand against anything that stands against the word of God and the righteousness and justice in our government, in our culture, that God has called us to carry out. Would you pray with me? Father God, we love you. And we thank you, O God, for speaking to us through your word today. I pray, God, that among other things, we would have more of a spirit of understanding for our Christian brothers and sisters who vote differently than we do. Lord... Maybe Christians who lean Republican for the first time are thinking, you know what? That justice that my Democratic Christian brother talks about, that is a biblical virtue. And maybe, Lord, for the first time our Christian brothers and sisters who vote Democratic are looking across the aisle and saying, well, now I better understand that, that stand for righteousness that Christian Republicans may take. I pray, O God, that we wouldn't judge others, but come to a better understanding of others. And together that we would search your word to better understand your heart, Lord Jesus, on these issues. And that, Lord, we would do our best not to vote for our own selfish interests, but vote for your interests. That we would take a stand for your righteousness and your justice. That we would defend the cause of the poor and the prisoner and the oppressed that, Lord, we would take a stand against poverty and fight to end poverty in this nation. God, that we would fight for the life of the unborn child, that we would fight for biblical marriage. Lord, that we would take a stand for religious freedom to speak faithfully and and boldly, whatever the word of God says, without fear of persecution. Lord, help us to stand for what you want us to stand for. And just as we asked last week, we ask again, oh God, bring revival to this nation. May your church stand on the word of God. May your church be set on fire for Jesus Christ. And we pray for millions to come to a saving knowledge of Christ in our nation. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're here today listening to this message and you've never made a decision to accept Christ as Savior, it's not complicated. You can accept Him right now. Remember the ABCs. A, admit that you are a sinner. Admit that you fall short of God's perfect standard. All of our political leaders have failed us in in one way or another. But understand that you have failed God. I have failed God. We have to come to Him humbly admitting that we are sinners, that we have fallen short of His standard. B, we have to believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and accept Him as our Lord and Savior. And that brings us to that sea we choose to follow Jesus Christ, not just as a Savior to save us from our sins, but as the Lord that's going to take the driver's seat of our life. He's going to take the wheel and lead our life from this point forward. If you're at that point, I encourage you to reach out to one of our prayer counselors. Their names, phone numbers are on the screen below. You can call or text them. Let them know that you've made this decision to accept Christ. And be baptized as soon as possible, because that's what Jesus said to do. When you're ready to make that decision for Christ, you're ready to be baptized, letting the world know I'm serious about following Christ from this point forward. Or if you're just going through a tough time and you need prayer, you reach out to one of our prayer counselors as well. And with that, those of you who are believers and followers of Christ, I invite you to join me for our time of communion as we take of the bread and the juice. The bread represents Jesus' body that was broken for us as He died on that cross for our sins. Search your heart. Ask Him to forgive you for any sin in your life that's keeping you from Him. And take of the bread in a worthy manner, humbly, in a spirit of repentance and in a spirit of thankfulness for what Jesus has done for you. And in the same way, search your heart and take of the juice in a worthy manner coming to him humbly asking forgiveness for anything in your life that's kept you from him and taking of that blood thankfully because he's washed our sins clean Lord Jesus thank you for your body broken and your blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sin the forgiveness of our sin thank you Lord In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And with that, we're going to close our service with one final song. The numbers of our prayer counselors are there on the bottom of the screen. Call if you need prayer. Call if you need to accept Christ. Or if you just need someone to speak a word of encouragement into your life, we're here for you, church. Remember, we have food offered every Tuesday at 11 a.m. If you're in need of food, come and join us on 11 o'clock. No questions asked. We'll bless you with food. If your utility bills are too high and you need some help, reach out to us. If you need us at any time, please reach out. We're here for you. We love you. And we're doing this together for the glory of God. God bless you.